All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 30, Sports Talk with Jeff and Mike. This is your co-host and producer, Michael Elkins, coming to you from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Tonight, little different format. We have both my co-host, Jeff Kamenetsky. Jeff, how are you? What's going on? Not much. And joining us from Atlanta, Georgia, former New England Patriot and Philadelphia Eagle, Ellis Hobbs, who's graciously joining us for the entire show tonight. Ellis, how are you? Doing well. What up, podcast mates? <laughs> um, so we got a great show for everybody tonight. We're going to touch upon the uh, national championship game very briefly. Uh, we're going to briefly talk about the wild card weekend, which was, in fact, wild. And um, then we are going to go really deep into this Seth Wickersham piece on ESPN and the Patriots and talk about these four games. So you're going to definitely want to stick with us for this because I'm quite certain Ellis is going to have some insight as a former player um, at Gillette Stadium when there was controversy, bigger controversy than this. If, you've ever, if everyone remembers Spygate, Ellis was there for it. And there, there have been a few Patriot, former Patriots that have come out and talked about this. So I'm going to be really interested to hear his perspective. And listeners, I think um, you're going to want to hear that as well. A uh, little bit of housekeeping for everybody. Remember, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can get in touch with us on Instagram. It's at Melkins1. Twitter, at Melkins31175. Our email address is jmsportspodcast at gmail.com. And, or I should say, you can go to our Facebook page at JM Sports Podcast. We check everything. We respond to everybody. Um, any comments, criticisms, all that's appreciated. Um, so let's start off with our This Day in Sports. Jeff, what do you have for us? All right, guys. So let me ask you this and our audience. If you had to name the most iconic catch in NFL history, uh, what comes to your mind? Now, it, it'll depend on your age. I mean, Ellis is a young young buck out there, and he and, – and that sometimes, uh, depending on your age, I think there's a couple of different answers. But if somebody had to put to you, what is the most famous or iconic catch in NFL, uh, let's say NFL history, postseason history? I'm just curious what you guys would say, and then uh, I could let you know what today's uh, actual date in history is. Hmm. What do you think? Well, I mean, there's a bunch of Super Bowl catches that I don't think, at least modern day Super Bowl catches, that wouldn't be yeah. included in that. I would put Tyree in there. I would put Edelman in there. But since it's early January, I'm guessing the catch is either going to be Dwight Clark or Lynn Swan. But, Ellis, what do you think? I was actually going to say Dwight Clark or uh, Franco Harris. Ah, there you um, go. Yeah. I mean, I think that to me, those were the two that came to mind. So it is the anniversary of the catch, the Dwight Clark catch in the end zone from Joe Montana, 1982, the NFC Championship game which many think um, kind of put an end to the Dallas Cowboy dynasty. They were dynasty in the 70s, and it was a springboard for Joe Montana and the 49ers in the 80s and beyond uh, in their championship run. But to me, it's, it's two catches. It's the uh, immaculate reception, Franco Harris, against the, um, the Oakland Raiders in the 72 postseason season. Uh, and that was, to me, one of the biggest. But this was the second, uh, at least in my mind, but it's called the catch. And it's an anniversary. And that was incredible. I've seen that many times since. And a lot of people think Joe Montana was just throwing the ball away. But uh, Dwight Clark at the back of the end zone pulls that grab in, gives the 49ers the NFC Championship. And they went on to beat the Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl. Uh, but it's the anniversary of that catch, January tenth, 1982, and one of the most, if not the most iconic and best-remembered catch, uh, I think, in NFL postseason history. 
Yeah, definitely competing for it. Oh yeah, broke broke the hearts of um, everybody in Dallas and denied Danny White a shot at a Super Bowl. Great quarterback that never got to go three NFC Championship games in a row, but never made the Super Bowl. Probably should have that day. Wow! Um, Shout out to Danny White. I actually had uh, his entire uniform as a four-year-old. Really? <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, I got some pictures of it. I actually, I'll post a picture. Yeah, very under, un, very underrated quarterback, especially seeing as he followed Roger Staubach. So, played on some some great Cowboy teams that just couldn't get past the Redskins or the 49ers. Um, so let's talk real quick about this national championship game. I don't want to dwell on it too much because I think a lot's already been said. Um, it was a great game. It was a great second half. Big story was Saban with the. I don't know if you want to call it smarts or guts or whatever it was to switch from uh, or switch to the freshman quarterback. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Gutsy call, right? Um, to pull Jalen Hurts, who, uh, what do we say, 25 and 2 or some incredible record that he's had and um, was having a bad first half. I mean, Georgia had it all going on. Alabama couldn't do anything. I mean, that was a gutsy call, I think. Great call by Saban. I mean, it could have gone either way. Because this kid had never played before, right? And he just comes on there and shows that poise and arm strength and ability to run and, and read the defense and everything else. But, man, that was a uh, – I thought Alabama was done. I, I don't know if they were done. I, I, I thought they were in deep trouble. And uh, I think they needed a big change, and that's about the biggest change that you could do is pull your quarterback. And, man, I was surprised as hell. And uh, that guy became like an instant legend, man. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, instant legend. You know, it's it's the same thing that I've said, you know, with the NFL players, uh, most recently Jimmy G. When you don't have film on somebody and, and they have, you know, decent talent, you know, it's very tough to try to game plan within the moment. And, uh, you know, outside of that, you know, with Saban, and, you know, we're not going to dwell on this like you said, Michael, but um, just a great situational football coach, you know, where – that was the best case scenario for the Georgia Bulldogs. You know, you're up 13-0. Your quarterback is managing the game as a freshman. The wide receiver, the brother of Cal- Calvin-, Calvin Ridley, is playing out of his mind. I think he has like eight catches for the entire season, yeah. and Crazy. you know he double. You know, so I think uh, top that. You know, in, in the in the in the championship game and everything else that they had going. And so going into half, you know, how do you, how do you not think that they're going to win that game? But just great poise by the coaching staff of Alabama, saving those guys and, and playing great situational football amongst all the adversity with the kicker missing two field goals and still being able to pull that thing out. I just, you know, hats off to them, not only for winning the national championship, but if you notice with Alabama, they're one of the few teams still that traditionally run and operate as an NFL team and it blows my mind because you would think that more teams would do that because if you're trying to get to the NFL as an individual player you're gonna have to adapt to the NFL style but these guys come out here you know um, spread offenses you know these these traditional um, throwing quarterbacks are not non-existent you know they're running the ball every which way this and that and now when they get to the NFL it's a culture shock and so for Saban to do what he has done, you know, over and over again, year after year against what is norm or cliche in the uh, in the in the collegiate ranks is a, a tremendous job by him and his staff. Yeah, I think uh, Nick Saban cements himself as 
possibly the greatest coach in college football history, and it's between him and Bear Bryant. I can't think of anybody else. So it's five national championships. I think it's six. No, it's five six, with five Alabama. With yeah, five with Alabama, one with LSU. Um, he's not going anywhere. There's been some rumors, but I, I don't think he's going to go anywhere. What? Yeah, <laughs> it happens every year that they say, you know, the Clevelands of the world should at least pick up the phone and call and, and pull the Brinks truck up, truck up and offer Nick the job. But the problem with that is it's it's well documented. Nick Saban's wife loves Alabama, and she's already – she's actually – he's on record – that she has told him, you can go to the NFL, but I'm staying here. So right. I don't I mean, think that's ever going to happen. In Saban's style, you know, and not, taking nothing away from his coaching ability or anything, but when it comes to the NFL, you know, I, I did play against him, you know, um, earlier in my career, and it, it was widely known that his coaching style is not conducive for the NFL. You know, and, and you have those kind of coaches who just do not fit the NFL model. And what I mean by that is that they have an approach and a style as if, for lack of a better phrase or term, talking to children. And when you get to the NFL, you have to treat grown men as such. And it was it was not an unknown thing with Saban that he was addressing his players, talking to them and handling them as if they were young men, um, 18, 19, 20 years old. And when you have guys on payroll for 20 million plus, you just can't do that. And right. so um, his style, his approach, his culture, everything that he's bred is, is a perfect fit for the collegiate ranks. So why would you leave that 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 ecosystem? I would have no idea. But from what you're saying, it seems like it's not going to happen anyway. No, I don't think it will. Plus, he lives for free there. I think his house is paid for in his contract, the cars and I'm quite certain he never pays for a meal anywhere. So I'm pretty sure the uh, quarterback won't pay for a meal or his family for some time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and pretty sure you're going to hear about Jalen Hurts probably transferring very soon. But that'll be an interesting story to follow. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and get into, uh, very briefly, the wild card weekend. I don't want to dwell too much on it because it, it ended on Sunday and today's Wednesday. But um, there were four great games. I think the one, obviously, that everyone's been talking about uh, was the most exciting was the Titans Chiefs game. Titans came back from a double digit deficit. I think 18 points. I think they were down 21 three um, ended up beating Kansas City in Kansas City, which is really difficult to do in the regular season, let alone in the postseason. Uh, a couple quick points for discussion for everyone. One, um, Andy Reid. Um, now another playoff failure is Andy Reid um, really just um the same as uh, Marvin Lewis, but with one Super Bowl appearance. It's an interesting thing to ponder if you think about it. He hasn't really done much in the postseason. Um, second, the play calling from the Chiefs when they were up 21-3. Uh, Ellis, I'll let you take it first. Yeah, I've, I've, I've played under Andy, and, you know, it's one of those things where he definitely has a different coaching style than Bill. And, you know, that that's a very hard comparison Two totally different personalities, uh, but but gets it done, you know, in, in the in the in the regular season, I would say with the postseason. I mean, you want to defend it, but at the same time, you know, numbers never lie. Historically, he's not that great. Uh, besides that one Super Bowl appearance, which a lot of coaches, you know, and let's not take anything away from it. A lot of coaches can't even say that, you know, Marvin Lewis for, for in, in particular. But there's definitely something there or something that's not there that's missing, you know, that's just not clicking with any of Andy's teams over the years. And so you take a hard look at that. But as an organization, you know, 
and I, I use this in my personal life when I when I when I start getting down or envious of things, grass is green and brown. And so if you're peeking over that fence and, and you're looking for another coach or you're thinking to make some changes, just understand and what you're about to give up in a, in a coach like Andy Reid who's who successfully done it, you know, time and time again where you have teams dying and wishing that they can even compete to be in the playoffs. You know, now do we take a step backwards and and bring somebody else in here or does it does it shake things up in the right direction? My personal opinion on it, I would stick with Andy just because, you know, the success is there. We just got to figure out what are the key missing pieces. He definitely is a a, a self-critic as well. Uh it's it's on paper on doc and it's documented that he didn't feel like he was uh um, coaching uh, confident games as an offensive coordinator and gave that position over and, and really focused in on being the head coach. So he's definitely uh, self-aware and, and willing to make adjustments, I guess, moving forward in the offseason. How far will those adjustments go? But then, you know, just the um, the natural play calling and things like that, it, it's, it's unfortunate that it, that it went that way. And, and, you know, my heart goes out to him. Uh, not necessarily the Chiefs, but just Andy, just knowing him on a personal level. Jeff, you watched the game. What did yeah, you think? Yeah, well, I, I focus on the on the game itself. And uh, first of all, I mean, the, the Chiefs can be beaten at home in the play in the, in the playoffs. It's they're just incredible. They keep losing. Uh, what is it? Six in a row at home, I think, um, in the playoffs. And um, I thought the Chiefs' offense took a hit when Travis Kelsey got hurt. So going in, they had three big weapons, right? It's uh, Kareem Hunt and Tyreek Hill and um, Kelsey, and a really good quarterback in Alex Smith. And it was all clicking in the first half, despite a bunch of drop passes. Kelsey goes down, and for some reason that just changed the whole dynamic of the Kansas City offense. I give credit to, to Tennessee's defense, too, and they, they shut down Kareem Hunt. He had like 40 yards, um, and they unleashed Derrick Henry, which uh, you know kept the Chiefs' offense off the field. So, again, it was just it was a completely different – different half and I just think the Chiefs I thought they were going to smoke Tennessee I don't know about you guys but it but they came out 14 nothing in the first quarter they looked like they're on a different level and then just the, the Kansas City mystique again in the playoffs where they just can't close it out uh, took over in the second half and they were another team and again I'm, I don't want to diminish what Tennessee did I, I, Henry was a big big part of that and they they controlled the clock in the second half Kansas City's offense also just couldn't get first downs I don't know what it is. If it's Andy Reid, you know, their offensive coordinator, um, did he just – I think he just left, right, and, and signed with uh, another team. Chicago. Um, yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I just saw a completely different team. I think Kelsey had a big, big factor in that. If he was in there the second half, things might have been different. Um, and it was just a surprise to me. That was a big upset. I know all three of us picked um, the Chiefs, right? And we just got, uh, we just got toasted on that one. Um, yeah, we did. Although, I mean, I don't, I don't have any faith in Alex Smith, so it didn't surprise me all that much. And rumors are now that he'll be out of Kansas city. Patrick Mahomes has progressed dramatically, they say. Um, and there's some talk that he might be the target of the Browns. Um, that so, sounds good. yeah, that sounds about right to me too. I, I don't have a lot of faith in Alex Smith. Um, and that's, no, I'm actually been... talking about Mahomes. I mean, oh, Mahomes. Yeah, man, <laughs> well, it, that sounds great, man. When you, you know, nothing nothing irks me more than to hear the potential. Potential, is, if you think about it, potential is nothing. And, you know, especially in the NFL, man, where, you know, you have all this hype, all this progression and dramatic this and that. You know, the best example I can give of that is Kaiser, you know, coming in at the very beginning of the season. 
and, you know, all this hype surrounding these guys and they're looking for freshness and, you know, the rookie and the energy and all that stuff. But <clears throat> that all goes out the window when you get hit in the mouth. And so when those guys don't yeah. react well, and don't get me wrong, you know, uh, Michael, you have a very good point with some of the things with Alex Smith, man. But the dude's tried, true, and tested. And, you know, it's very difficult to win in the NFL. And, and, you know, you've seen what bad quarterbacks look like. And I wouldn't say that he's top echelon, but I wouldn't say he's subpar either. And yeah. so, you know, for his hit, for, for his win, I mean, for his career, you know, he's done an amazing job with different coordinators different teams, crazy situations, you know, losing his position or, or his job title uh, starting in San Francisco when all he did was just get hurt and, you know, the mental that goes behind that. So it'll be interesting to see Mahomes come in, man, and, you know, I definitely don't wish any bad or ill will towards him and hope he never has to face any adversity like that. But, you know, the life and culture of the NFL brings adversity. So, you know, it, you're glorified today, man, but you could be from uh, from a hero to a zero in, in, in a split second. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a good point. And, and I'm not I'm not saying Alex Smith's the worst quarterback ever, but, you know, people were talking about this guy after five games like he was an MVP candidate. Right. And he had a good five games, but he eventually regressed back to, you know, what he is. He's a very serviceable, good quarterback. But, I mean, if you had to put the ball in someone's hands, there's probably – you know, to win a game, I'm not sure that Alex Smith's going to be on your list. Um, and, you know, th this Kansas City team probably should have advanced past Tennessee. I think this is a really, um, this is a black mark on Smith and to some extent Reed as well. I mean, you've got the, the Tennessee Titans are not a good football team. At they were nine and seven. They barely got it. They backed into the playoffs. And Kansas City's supposed to be one of the toughest places to play. I mean, this was scripted for Kansas City to win. Um, and I think that that's problematic. So, but we'll see what happens. Let's get to the other three games really quickly. Jaguars, Bills. Um, I'm not sure there's much to say about this other than this was one of the worst football games I've ever watched, period. I fell asleep. <laughs> Anybody else have anything on this? Yeah, I took a nap. Terrible football. It was an unwatchable game. And, and Blake Bortles, as bad as he was with his arm, he won the game for them with his legs because he ran well in the, in the second half. But it was an unwatchable game. And I mean, yes, we understand they both have good defenses, but they could not move the ball either offense. I mean, that was tough to watch. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think it was good defensive football. I think it was really bad offensive football. So, Yeah, when, um, you, uh, when, you, when we talk about Alex Smith and, and, I, and I make the statements that I make, I'm referencing guys like Bortles. Like sure. that, that's what you could have in your backyard if you're not careful. <laughs> and so, you know, <laughs> right. when you're when you're running the ball more than you're passing, you know, you're not getting paid to run the ball. <laughs> so, right. you know, to see 88 yards and uh, 87 passing yards, you know, that's just disappointing. Man, it puts way too much pressure on your um, on your defense. And, um, you know, it's, it's it's the elephant in the room right now, but it will be addressed in the offseason. Believe that. Sure. Uh, go to the switch over to the NFC Saints Panthers game. Um, I think everyone, I think all of us had the Saints in this game. Not, I don't think a really big surprise. Uh, I, I made no secret about it. I'm not a huge fan of Cam Newton. Um, he's an extraordinary physical talent. I question whether he has what's between the ears to really win. Um, and I mean, win big. I, I think we saw that um, this weekend. Saints look really good. You know, they've got, they can run, they can play defense, and Drew Brees is sort of their second option now, which I think is scary. Uh, what did you guys think? Well, yeah, man. Um, I mean, Drew Brees can play. 
I mean, he can play. Uh, they didn't run the ball very well. So Carolina took away New Orleans' run, and it was Drew Brees again. And I mean, I just watched that guy year after year, and he, the dude can really play. And he's a big-game quarterback. And um, Carolina stayed in there longer than I thought. And uh, Cam didn't play that bad, but towards the end, uh, I think the Saints' defense really stepped up, put some pressure on him, and really hurt him and knocked him out of the game. He came back pretty quick, which was kind of controversial, I guess. Um, but uh, I, I put that game because the New Orleans rushing game wasn't their usual self. They reverted back to their their per, uh, passing game, and man, Breeze can play. Michael Thomas is a heck of a receiver, and uh, the Saints are still my pick for the NFC. And they had a little trouble with that game, but they came and pulled it out at the end. They're a different team on the road. We'll talk about that in a little bit when they when they travel this weekend. But um, at home, uh, they're tough, and they uh, they look good. It was a that was a good game. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you saw more of a difficult game or just a close game because it was a division opponent. And so being the fact that they it's the third time playing, you know, Michael noted on this, it's very hard to beat a team, you know, three times in a row um, and, and do it, you know, in, in a very confident fashion, um, just overwhelmingly. So it was, it was a game that was expected as such. But, you know, when you talk about Cam Newton and especially his MVP season, I personally feel like he caught light, uh, lightning in a bottle that year. Um, really, every other season that he's had, and I still say this, every time he throws the ball, I don't know where it's going. Mm-hmm. Like, I have no idea. Like, because his shoulders look completely pointed up. Right. And, you know, just, just doesn't look like that that type of quarterback for the amount of years that he's been into the league and, you know, continually running the ball. And how he does it, um, man, if it wasn't for his size, man, he would have been done physically already. And so um, with a guy like him, you know, they were supposedly supposed to get weapons around themselves, um, you know, with, uh, you know, the little running back uh, is it, uh, McCaff- with McCaffrey. McCaffrey but, yeah. yeah, he needs to just go ahead and switch his number over to a wide receiver and just become a slot guy. <laughs> right. Because right. the running game, it was it's non-existent. Not yeah, it's not happening. It's just not happening. So, you know, they definitely got a lot of things that they need to adjust um, in the offseason if they want to continually, um, you know, make a, run, make a run at this thing. I think Rivera's a great coach. You know, he's shown consistency in winning. But, you know, just like anything in the NFL, man, that's not going to be good enough. And eventually that's going to turn into sour grapes amongst the um, um, amongst the fans and then amongst executives. And, you know, when those decisions are made, they're going to be addressing, you know, all the problems that I just mentioned. All right, let's get into this uh, Rams-Falcons game. And I don't want to dwell too, too much on it because we do have a lot to get to with what is really current in the news. Seth Wickersham plus the games coming up this weekend. It's 26, th- 26 to uh, 13, I think. Um, I might have that. 26, 13, yeah. Um, the only thing I can say about this is I don't think the Rams really were ever in this game. Uh, it looked like they had a lot of problems with every facet of the Atlanta offense. What do you guys think? Well, yeah, I was surprised. Yeah, I was surprised. Yeah. Surprise. Surprise. Yeah, yeah. I was surprised that they put it together that the I said last week, you know, something wasn't clicking with the Falcons and for them to do it, but do it on the road, you know, um, you know, speaks volumes of where they're at. Like I said, man, you know, you get you get a win under your belt, uh, on the road, you know, create some momentum you never know. So, um, you know, it'll be an interesting game to see how they how they react in uh, Philadelphia. Yeah. Jeff, I, you have anything on yeah, that? Yeah, I had a feeling Atlanta was gonna do that and uh and they did, man. They just kept the Rams offense off the field and, and really short passing game, really short passing game by Ryan. And the Rams just couldn't do their, their usual thing. And they, uh, 
you know, Goff didn't really have a great game, and they just weren't on the field a lot. I guess the I think they were just out coached. I really I was watching that game. It just looked like Atlanta was more prepared uh, than the Rams. And um, look, the the Falcons are hot. They're actually with seven of nine going in, or seven of nine after that game. And I think it's a, still a team to be reckoned with. So I think it was uh, was not a surprise to me. I just thought that they played played the way they should have, and the Rams seemed kind of I don't know, man, kind of out of sorts or over their head. Or like wowed by, hey, we know we're in this against the NFC champions, and then they they kind of played a little bit scared, and that's that's what happened. So Atlanta uh, kind of did what I thought and did it in a good way. They controlled the game and uh, controlled the ball and kept the Rams' offense off the field. All right, let's take a really short break, and when we come back. We're going to dig into the Wickersham piece and preview these four uh, divisional round playoff games. So sit tight with us, everybody. We'll be right back. This is Sports Talk with Jeff and Mike. All right, everybody, thanks for sticking with us. We're back. We're going to try to get to all this information. We're going to try to do it in a – I want to do it in an expedited fashion, but I don't want to short thrift it because it is a lot of stuff. But I also am mindful that we don't want this thing to run too long for all of our listeners. Um, so let's get right into it. If you haven't been paying attention – um, then I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. Um, you you must know about the Seth Wickersham story that came out uh, early or late last week or early this week. Um, and, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing because it's a 4,600-word 4, piece um, by Wickersham. The essential elements of the piece are that there is this dramatic tension and, it, and dramatic issues between uh, Kraft, Belichick, and Brady. The piece is most certainly, without question, written from the side that Brady um, is the one causing most of this. It talks about he celebrated the Garoppolo trade. It talks about that um, he demanded that Garoppolo be traded. There's a there's a part in there where it says Jimmy G attempted to go to the TB12 clinic last year to get his shoulder worked on and was locked out for two weeks. Um, there's a whole lot of stuff in there. A lot of it is anti-Brady stuff like that the players have to call him sir and that if they don't go to TB12 to get worked on, he won't throw them the ball. Um, putting those things to the side, and we're going to talk about some of that, the piece essentially intimates that this, it, not intimates, actually says this is likely Bill's last year, Bill's going to leave, um, and that Bill was told you must trade Jimmy Garoppolo by Kraft. Talks about one of the things in the piece is that Bill has been mending fences and that he had this long meeting with Roger Goodell in Foxborough three weeks ago, and they're now friends. Now let's be let's get the let's separate fact from fiction. That's actually dead wrong. The NFL came out and said that meeting never took place in Foxborough. Um, and Bill, who never answers questions directly, Ellis, you know that. Jeff, you know that a little lesser extent, and I certainly know that. Bill answered that question on WEEI with Dale and Holly on his weekly interview. He was asked, did the meeting happen? And he actually said no. The last time he talked to Roger Goodell was in Mexico when the Patriots played there, and it was a very brief conversation. When asked if they're now very good friends, and I'm putting that in quotes, Bill responded, I'm a coach, he's the commissioner, that's the relationship. And the NFL, again, has, has refuted the piece as well. So the other part about this piece is there's no sources. It's completely, un it's all anonymous sources. It says that the sources are, and I'm putting this in quotes, Patriots staffers. Um, 
So I'm going to give my two cents on this, and I'm going to, and I'm borrowing from a lot of the New England media. There's a couple things I think everyone has to keep in mind. One, a lot of people jumped to the situation in '96 when Bill Parcells left. That's the old, the, the classic. If you want, if they want you to cook the dinner, you ought to be able to shop for the groceries. Quote. I don't think that that's very comparable. Parcells wasn't with the Patriots for 18 years. You know, it is almost inconceivable to me that Bill Belichick would walk out in a huff after 18 years and what he's built here, what he's built in New England, I should say, um, over some of these issues that have been raised. That's number one. Number two, tension between Bill and Tom. Ellis, I know you can talk to this um, because you lived it, but my understanding is that Bill and Tom have had a tension-filled relationship for 18 years. They've, it's always been reported they're not friends. They don't have dinner together. They don't function almost in any way on a personal level. It is very much coach, quarterback, and nothing more. Mm-hmm. And it's my understanding that that's how Bill is with all his players across the board. Ellis, I know you're going to get to that, so I don't want to go too deep into it. But that's been pretty common knowledge in New England. So to the extent there's tension, um, I don't think that that's new news. Third, the Alex Guerrero situation. Everybody knows Alex Guerrero is Tom Brady's, they call him his guru. He's, a, he's his trainer. And he's been working with the Patriots, with, started with Willie McGinnis in 04. Ellis, I'm sure you can speak about Guerrero in some form. He's, he's been around. And Tom really took to Guerrero. There was a lot of noise about Guerrero being banned. But what people forget is Guerrero has been around this team since 2004. If Bill didn't like what Guerrero was doing from a training standpoint, he wouldn't be banned. He'd be banished for good out of Gillette Stadium. Guerrero's just not on the team plane anymore. He's not on the sidelines. And he's limited to working with only Tom at Gillette. He can work with anybody else at the TB12 Center, which isn't a big deal. The clinic is located 150 steps from the stadium in Patriot Place. The, I think the Guerrero situation has been way overblown. Um, the reason that I, I'm getting this now from Tom Curran from um, NBC Sports, who I think is, the, for my money, the best Patriot insider, that Bill had to put a lockdown on Guerrero because there was some tension between Guerrero and the Patriot training staff. And so Bill's solution to that, because he respects Guerrero, and because Guerrero actually is good at what he does, and forget about Brady at 40, look at Rob Gronkowski. No injuries this year. He spent the last year with Alex Guerrero. And Curran talked to Rob, and he asked him, is it working with Guerrero? And Rob just bent over from a standing position and touched his toes, said he couldn't do that ever before. And same thing for Danny Amendola, by the way, who, who hasn't had any injuries this year, used to be very injury prone. Um, so I think Bill basically said, look, we're not going to have conflict with our training staff. Alex, you can do your thing with Tom, but everybody else, you got to go to the TB12 center. I don't really think that's a big deal. And I think if this was a real problem, Alex would be gone. And I don't think that's about kowtowing to Brady or anybody else. I just think it's a whole lot of nothing. So my fine point on this is I think that Wickersham correctly identifies tension. And I think there's tension in any relationship especially one that's 18 years old, and especially when you deal with huge egos. And let's, believe it or not, Tom, Robert, Kraft, and Bill all have big egos. That's just the nature of the beast. There have been, I think, much worse situations. And Ellis, I know you can speak to this about Spygate. You were there. But Deflategate, I mean, these are much bigger 
than what Wickersham's reporting. So what I think is he did talk to Patriot staffers. And I think these are staffers that have parts A and B of a situation, but not C, D, E, and F. Um, and so they sense tension in the building, and they're projecting that. They sense tension with Tom, or they hear that Tom's upset. The part of the piece is that Brady is angry that he never received the Patriot Player of the Week award. I think that's ridiculous. First of all, nobody can confirm this Patriot Player of the Week award. I do want you to speak to that too, Ellis. Um, Danny Amendola says there may be an award, there may not be an award. Um, Trey Flowers says there is an award, but Trey Flowers says on his interview, oh yeah, Tom's gotten that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's like for someone who makes good play. There's no, nobody can tell what the heck this thing is. I find it very hard to believe that Tom Brady is whining about getting Patriot Player of the Week. Uh, But the fact that Wickersham was told that indicates to me that that's a staffer who probably heard something from someone. So my conclusion on this report is, I'm not saying it's false completely. I'm saying, yeah, these tensions might be here, but I don't think it's World War III over there. I don't think this thing's going to be blown up. I think Bill, and by the way, Bill said, he was asked directly by Dale and Holly, will you be back coaching the Patriots in 2018? And his answer was, absolutely. That's the answer, absolutely. Bill never answers questions about anything relating to the team, ever. So the fact that he answered it indicates to me that there's <laughs> that they think this is a joke, um, and they understand that they need to let people know what the real situation is. Um, as far as Jimmy Garoppolo, I have no doubt in my mind, and it's been reported ad nauseum, Jimmy Garoppolo was drafted to be the successor, and the plan was Tom's on the decline, and at the time Jimmy was drafted, Tom was on the decline. And Jimmy will be here three or four years. He will take over. Bill would retire. His sons or someone would take over the team. And part of what Bill wants to do is set the Patriots up for long term after TB12 leaves. The thing that happened, the two things that they didn't know were, one, that Tom would have his best three seasons in a row ever and be performing like he is at this age. That was not expected. Can't fault anyone for that. You certainly can't fault Tom Brady for that. And two, that Jimmy Garoppolo would be as far along as he is. That also wasn't expected. Now, was Bill told by Kraft, you can't trade Tom? According to Tom Curran, there was never a conversation about that. But Bill knew if he asked, he probably would be told no. I have no problem with that. And I don't think Bill has a problem with it either. Because Bill's not stupid. He understands that there's more than just you can trade away any player. I mean, Tom Brady is not Lawyer Malloy, Logan Mankins, Richard Seymour, Vince Wilfork. The list goes on and on. The guy's been there 18 years. He has a business relationship with the owner. He basically helped build Patriot Place, not the stadium, but the city surrounding it. And Bill understands that the world doesn't function in a vacuum and that there may be one exception to this. And, um, I think Bill understood that, and there really wasn't any other move they could make on that chessboard with Jimmy Garoppolo. So my feeling is, I'm not saying it's much ado about nothing. I'm saying, yeah, there's tension. There's always been tension. Bill's staying. Tom is staying. Nothing's going to change. I'd like to hear your take first, Ellis, and then yours, Jeff, and you, Jeff, specifically about the Giants, because they keep coming up with relation to Bill, now Matt Patricia, and Josh McDaniels. But let's get Ellis first on these issues. 
you know, I've been around enough beat writers, uh, enough media personnel, um, especially within the New England Patriot organization, to know one thing. If you're going to say it, it better have some truth to it. And it better have some sort of substantial information backing it because you will get blackballed within that locker room. You're talking about the beat writers, uh, beat, the local I'm, beat I'm, writers. I'm beat writers, media, anybody, you know, the, well, big, the bigger writers, whoever it is. I think it's just for that point. Let's remember Wickersham is a national correspondent for ESPN. So he's not on the Patriot beat. Right. He just writes nationally for ESPN. Right, but I, you know, I, I, I can't specifically uh, name names, but I know that some of the more nationally known writers over the years, when they would come with controversial information against the Patriots, you know, in in the beginning and things, they were, for the most part, you know, separated or put to the side or, or um, let's just say, put on pause for a while, and you know, but let's just scratch the Patriots in general, and let's just talk about just just the writing itself. You know, because I did read the piece. It, it it's it's very concerning that you would write something to this magnitude, and you know you have to say to yourself as a, as a reader, said okay, if he's writing this, then he has to have some sort of confidence in what he's saying that he has great information, great intel, whatever it is, but. I believe, you know, because of the world that we live in this day and age, social media, where people can just freely write, say whatever they want without any sort of accountability. You know, to your point, Michael, there may be some truth behind just the complete vagueness of I'm just throwing it at the wall. And, you know, what I heard is what I heard. And, you know, I'd rather get eyes on what I wrote than to have concrete information. And, you know, that's and that's a sad situation. You know, because when you're when you're doing that, you're bringing in, you know, you're pretty much opening the gate for everyone else of credibility, you know, to do things like that. But then you're discrediting those that are actually trying to get the accurate information in and and make it known to the public as as your duty as a writer or as a publicist or media, whatever it is. So, you know, that's the first thing. It's just if it is, you know, what it is as far as um, being um, untrue. Um, to some of the things that he said, and then to be so vague with, you know, what he say, staffers and things yeah. like that. I mean, you well, just like how do you hang your hat on that? I don't think he lied about anything. I think that he got. I mean, he has anonymous sources. I'm sort of okay with that because if you you can't reveal your sources because they might get then they'll never be your source again. The right. problem with it is the sources he says are staffers, and he says players. He says he had meetings with players 15 miles from Gillette Stadium. I say. No way. Foxborough is too small. If a player is in a restaurant, that's getting reported on social media, period. There's going to be a picture, and it's showing up on someone's Instagram or Snapchat or Twitter. Having said that, what player in their right mind would do that? Have a private meeting with a national writer and basically blast Tom Brady because that's really what they were doing. They said, you know, there was all these reports about Brady cheering the Jimmy Garoppolo trade and demanding it. Now, Tom actually came out in his interview. Now, he usually says nothing. And he said that is absolutely false, that he has empathy for every player traded. It's, he realizes it could be him. And he, he sounded, at least in his WEEI interview, which he does every week, very hurt. He, was, he sounded hurt. He, was, he couldn't believe that that was 
what was being said was that he would actually, one, demand a player trade, which I firmly believe he didn't do, and two, cheer it afterwards. Right. So yeah. Ears and but, eyes go very far in, in the New England area. And what I mean yeah, oh, by yeah. that is that, you know, they, be, let's be clear. You know, there are people on that staff um, within that organization that, you know, know what their players are doing. They're assets. And so you got to know what your players are doing. Many of times I've heard – you know, guys uh, being reported, you know, late nights at the club, you know, moving around in the city, um, all the way from Boston down to, you know, Foxwoods, it's casinos and things of that nature. You know, not that anything's wrong with that, but it's being reported because they just want to understand your lifestyle and what you're doing. So for you, like to your point, Michael, for them to say that they had some sort of secret meeting, unless it's in the house, you know, or, you know, your private res- residence. And even then, you know, people talk, you know, I just don't see that getting far without someone knowing what, you know, what it is and what what was going on. So let's get into the specifics of that building because my understanding is one of the Bill's tactics when there is an issue like this and you lived it in Spygate is what he does is he he buries the staff and the players in work so mm-hmm. that that the, at least for the staff so that they have so much work they're not going to have time to deal with any of the outside noise. But let I want to talk first about well, first that question. When you guys were dealing with Spygate, and I'm not—I don't want you to reveal anything that you're not comfortable revealing. So, sure. um, you, you can keep it as vague as you want. But if you can bring us inside the walls, I'm curious. How was that? First of all, was did you witness tension? And my my thing is, there had to have been, and you don't need to be specific. But how could there have not been? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, the tension was there when when it was first addressed in that morning meeting, you know, by Bill. Um, and, I, and I've mentioned to you, you know, of, of things being, you know, spoken prior to that meeting. Right. Uh, but leading up to it. But, you know, when that was first addressed in the room, yeah, absolutely. Tension everywhere. But, you know, the great thing about Bill and, and, and what I would say is the master of is is really heading that tension off with directness. And what I mean by that is that he addresses the situation, he sets the tone of how he's going to conduct himself within that situation, and then he cuts it off by moving on. And so what he's establishing is, is like, listen, I've said it. You don't have to whisper it. It doesn't have to be rumors. It doesn't have to be gossip. This is what it is. And boom, we move forward. Um, there was a there was a situation with that. Uh, that the, the Spygate situation that came out uh, uh, later on amongst us in the uh, organization, it, it never really got out into the public because it, it was it was already far removed. But he addressed it, uh, I would think, because he didn't want it to go any further. Actually, right the night before a game, and so when he when he did that, it literally just kind of brought a calmness. Says, okay, well that's what it is because I think what brings the tension is the unknown. And, and and the, you know, well, could it be this or could it be that? Kind of similar to what's going on right now to where if you're not going to get concrete information from the from the direct sources, you're going to try to fabricate things. But I think Bill has a great a great awareness of understanding that he is the main source that everyone looks at and he's going to put it out there so that people can stop playing the guessing game. But, you know, when it when it came to those types of things, um, he definitely, definitely locked things down. Um, he actually made media time. Um, not necessarily shorter, but he would he would give no leniency, meaning that if there was a reporter that had to get two or three more questions in or wanted to speak, you know, two or three more minutes, he made sure that all media liaisons were fully aware that, listen, if it says 30 minutes in the locker room, they're getting 29, 
59. It's not going to be we're going to sit here and wait around and let these guys say whatever they want and manipulate the questions or manipulate, you know, the answers that these guys are saying so that something else juicy could come out. Um, Take that for what it's worth and then compare it to just a normal lockdown period of um, running that, that, that organization like a business to where when I was traded, immediately it was on a Sunday immediately I knew that I had no longer access to the locker room or the or, or the building because my key card didn't work and so everyone in that in that building has a key card everyone in that building has a key card that's only accessible to certain rooms in certain levels of the building and so in in these types of situations those key cards are are rechecked and checked over again and checked over again to make sure no one is leaking around the building, sneaking around, trying to find information. Things just start to constrain and get that much tighter. And the news is going to choke out whoever's trying to be controversial within that building. So, you know, for what it's worth, you know, it, they, they do a great job of managing the potentials and the what ifs. So that situations like this that's currently going on right now, uh, obviously they're going to exist and they're going to continually try to fabricate themselves. But the truth will remain as such so that that team can focus on what they're supposed to be doing. And that's winning ball games. So you played with Tom for four years. Right. You read the story. Believe it. Don't believe it about Tom. Um, what are your thoughts? I don't believe it, you know, from the Tom that I know. You know, I've told people this many a times when they ask me what Tom's like. If Tom was to walk into a room with you, you would look at him. If you didn't know who he was, he's just a tall white guy. It's just a tall white guy. If he, if he sat down with you, one of the friendliest guys I've ever been around, um, no ego involved when it comes to just casual conversation. Now, you put a ball in his hand, you put him on a chessboard, um, I don't know, hot dog eating contest, whatever, <laughs> you know, yeah. of course you're going to, you're going to see a totally different person. Competitive. But, yeah. Competitive. But that, that's what gets you there. That's who he is, you know, when, when in a, in a competitive situation, but you know, to, to hear all this, you know, well, I want my guy and you know, now we have TB 12. I, I think personally, he just understands, you know, where he is in his career and, and rightly so to where he, he's done enough and established himself to where he's, he's definitely self-aware of the transition that's going to happen and needs to happen and in the branding and everything. I think, you know, out of everyone in that organization, he's justified in doing so with TB12 or, um, you know, anything else. Um, sometimes I, I will say, you know, outside of Tom that, you know, the my guy situation comes into play a lot. Where, you know, everybody has their guy, their financial guy, you know, their guru, whoever it is. And so Alex has been around for years, years. And, you know, he has techniques. He has different things, approaches or whatever. And, you know, it's not it's nothing short of amazing that Tom is having the year that he's having at the age of 40. And Alex has been around. And so anyone catching wind of that, well, hell. You know, I want to feel that way. I want to do these things. So when you get that wave coming in, you're going to get a push towards that. And, and it's probably going to make, um, you know, the, the the staff of the of the New England Patriots, the medical staff or the training staff, you know, feel some kind of way. So all Bill is doing is just trying to set guidelines and, and do what he's always done. Team first. 
You know, I don't think he has a problem with Alex. He just has a problem with the distraction of Alex, you know, and so he doesn't want to to separate Tom from him, but he just wants to make it be clear that, listen, guys, it, you know, Tom has his person just like anybody can have his person, but we're always going to be team first, you know, and if that creates tension in the room, so be it. You know, it, it has in the past with other people, but it's been managed. I think just because this is a high-profile player in a high-profile situation that is being taken to the next level, but this is nothing different that is ha- that hasn't happened in the past so um, last point and then i want to bring jeff in to get the 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 fan perspective the you know the opposing fan perspective and that and the perspective regarding the giants you you mentioned guerrero and and i think that's the thing is that you said he's been around a long time you ever see anything in there where it was um go to alex or else from Tom, which is really what this piece says. And the second question, I'm, I'm giving both to you at once. Were people required to call Tom sir? I mean, did you ever hear that? That just seems weird to me, but man, I'll listen, let you address it. Listen, throw throw football out the room. I'm a grown man. <laughs> so if, if, if I'm calling one of my teammates, one of my colleagues, one of my peers, sir, and I don't feel comfortable with it, nobody's going to pressure me into doing that. They know that that's absurd, you know, that someone, you know, maybe he heard a piece of that conversation and, you know, not to say that it's true, but maybe there was a bet involved on, on a college game or something like that. And they, instead of money, they said, okay, for the rest of the week, you have to call me, sir, Tom. I don't know, but just personally knowing Tom, you know, for the for the time I did, I don't see that. I don't see that happening, you know, with that situation. As far as him directing players to to Alex, you know, same thing, man. It it, it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way where guys have their own ways, their own styles, their approach. You know, he's going to give you his best opinion about his guy and, and, and how he feels about him. And, you know, that's what it is. But for for him to say, you know, if you don't go to my guy, I'm not throwing you the ball. Worst case scenario, someone took that out of context. Somebody did not hear the entire conversation or story, and they just fabricated something on their own. But I just don't yeah. believe it. Because I, I think it. I think at heart, well, not at heart. I mean, Tom Brady wants to win above anything else. It doesn't seem logical to me yeah. that he would drop into this childlike mode of. You didn't go to Alex, so Danny, you're not getting the ball. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, when he when and when you say he wants to win, he's gonna do whatever it takes for him personally to be the best quarterback and best Tom Brady he can be. But he cannot, and I don't think he will or ever will, tell Amendola, you know, Tom, Dick or Harry or whoever else that listen, if you wanna be the best person that you, you can be on this football field, you need to see my guy. Or you need to do this and that because it just doesn't make any sense, you know. And for for the the amount of years that Tom has been playing the game, you you haven't heard anything like this. Now, within the last three years or two years of hell, just this year, he's changed his whole persona and character. Like, no, that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and it's crazy because this story, which I think is filled with a lot of supposition, and and again. I think there's tension, but I think there's always tension there. Um, it dominated the national, not just the local news. I mean, it was the lead story at one point um, on the New York Times, I think, CNN. I mean, this thing went everywhere. Jeff, um, I know you've been listening. A couple things. One, your take as sort of a, a an opposing fan on the Patriots. And then two, the reports about Bill, Josh, and Patricia now 
to the Giants? Well, you know, when the story came out, it was good uh, discussion around the water cooler with my Giant friends. Um, real exciting, you know. Wow, Belichick uh, interested in coaching the Giants. He's going to leave, and then, and then I just kind of settled down. I'm like, this is the Patriots we're talking about. If this was another big time coach, I would have given him more, given him more thought. But I, I can't take that article seriously because it's about the Patriots and and these guys, Kraft and Brady and Belichick, have been together for so long, and it sounds sexy and exciting that there's so much turmoil going on there, but. You know, after the initial excitement, we all came back to earth. And uh, as a Giant fan, yeah, it's nice to fantasize about about getting a great coach like that, and and that there's this turmoil in the in the empire of uh, of the Patriots, and it's gonna it's gonna end. And there's 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 discord there, and of course, you like hearing that stuff if you're not really a Patriot fan. But then uh, reality sets in, and I'm like, I, you know, let's just wait and see what happens. I don't expect suddenly the best coach in the game to just pick up and leave and come to my team. You know, that's like a fantasy. Um, and I, so it kind of settled down after the initial excitement. Uh, however, the Patricia and McDaniels uh, stories, we interview, the Giants interviewed them, and, and that has more credence as far as I'm concerned because I think those guys are going to be head coaches somewhere. Um, so the Giants were in, interviewed with them. I saw an article today in the Daily News, I think, that Patricia is the top choice for the Giants. Yep, I saw that um, too. So I looked into his background, see what kind of guy was his background and and what he'd be like as a Giant coach. And um, I'm not – I mean, I'd love to get a, anybody from the Patriots, but I don't, I, I don't know if, he, if he's going to happen. I think the Lions are also courting him. Um but as a Giant fan, we're looking for anything right now. You know, we, Gettleman becomes GM. We have a top draft choice. We have a new coach coming in, whoever that's going to be. We're we're thinking that it, you know it's it might they might get uh, a pick that's not the most popular with the Giants, and that they're they're interviewing plenty. So anybody with the Patriots would be would be exciting. And the guy guys I'm talking to, uh, but you know what? Again, it's the Patriots. You're not going to hear anything until the Patriots season ends, which is probably going to be in the Super Bowl. And um and then and then we'll we'll find out. So I you know what the, I look into that. I'm not a big gossip guy and what's happening behind the scenes. And you know to me, I just want to see what happens. Uh, is is Belichick going to leave? Is Patricia and McDaniel's going to leave? We'll find out. Um and I could think about it from now and the and the end of the season, and uh, I could speculate, and I just won't know until it happens. So it was exciting when the article came out. And again, any other coach, I would have been real excited, but I don't foresee this happening because Belichick is intertwined with the Patriots, and you can't even imagine him him leaving. And as far as the discord there, maybe there is something. Maybe there was some credence to that article, but I, again, I don't, I don't pay much attention to that. I just want to um, see what happens down the road. So, in the answer to your question, Mike, there was some initial excitement from the Giants' uh, point of view, uh, kind of shook things up, uh, you know, a little bit. But reality sets in. We still don't have a coach yet. It's going to happen soon, and uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, I, I'd be happy with McDaniel's or Patricia. All right, that's good perspective from someone who, I mean, clearly, you know, you don't root for the Patriots, so it's interesting to hear your thoughts on the article. I know a lot of, I heard from a lot of um, not Patriot fans, all the, you know, the sky's falling, and this is great. And my position to everyone was, let's let's see what the team does, let's see what Bill says, let's see what Tom says, and um, I took the position initially that if they say nothing nothing they just say we're not going to talk about it i that would have given more credence to the article but the fact that they don't ever talk about anything 
and that they addressed it head on, you know, lent, lent me to believe, led me to believe that, um, and amongst other things that this might be, I'm not saying it's false. I'm saying probably the same tensions that have always been there as with any other 18 year relationship involving very successful people. All right, let's get into these four games. We kind of beat this thing to death, which and I'm, and I'm glad we got to get that inside perspective of what goes on in Gillette from Ellis, which is tremendously valuable. And, and, you know, not a lot of players, by the way, um, not a lot. Well, players have commented on it, but, um, all of them, I should say the ones that have, I think Mayo said something about it. Um, um, now the name's escaping me. (laughs) Um, Oh, Brewski said something as well. All kind of had the same consistent sentiments, same thing that you said, Ellis, which was, it just doesn't add up. In, no, it in doesn't some add up, man. It doesn't to be honest up. with you, you know, and this is my last statement about it. When when it comes to the New England Patriots, and Jeff, maybe you you can you can concur with this as well. The statement where when you can't beat them, you got to find something else. You know, it's like it's almost as if people are cheering just because the prom king or varsity quarterback has broken, has shown some sort of weakness. Or controversy, so they're just blowing it, you know, in my personal opinion, out of out of proportion, to where it's like, okay, you know, they they win everything, you know, Super Bowls, they got the you know the, the perfect quarterback who has the perfect wife, who has the perfect team, and you know, up now, you know, there may be a glitch, you know, in the system. Let's continually, you know, press this thing, and you know, it's like I said earlier, man, it's just unfortunate because it's the world we live in this day and age with social media and stuff where everybody has an opinion, people of no validity, no concrete, substantial, being, what, 10 followers on Instagram. Right. You know, they just say whatever, and all of a sudden it becomes law. And so it's just an unfortunate situation, man. But to to your point, Michael, they never, ever come out, you know, and address statements. They always handle it internally. For them to come out and defend you know, a position, whether right or wrong, they defended a position, you know, it, it speaks volumes, man. So you're, you're yeah. definitely on point with what you're saying. The only other time they've done it, the only other time was Deflategate. Yep. That's it. It was Deflategate. And so, you're, I mean, I, and they were adamant in Deflategate that what was reported by the Wells report was false. So they're taking the same approach on this. Um, I think Bill's back. I think Tom is back. And I think they didn't want to trade Jimmy. We'll leave it at that. But they had to. Let's break these games down very quickly because we're we're at about sixty minutes, and I know our listeners don't like to go much past like seventy and change. Um, so we'll we'll talk Patriots Titans really quick. Um, I see this as a complete and total mismatch, and I'm going to leave it at that. Um, no Demarco Murray. Uh, the Titans have a lot of a lot of trouble. I think um, they're going to have a lot of trouble with Tom Brady in this offense. Dick LeBeau. Um, who's been around forever, Hall of Fame coach, has done terrible against Brady for the last 18 years. Brady's chewed up his own defense. I don't think he's going to see anything different on um, Sunday, on Saturday night, rather. Um, Jeff, what do you think? No, nah, it's not going to be much of a game. I'd say two touchdown favorites, Patriots, that should be it. Uh, the only chance Titans have is to control to control the ball, and Derrick Henry's got to have a monster game and keep the Patriots offense off the field but uh what i've seen from mariota this year was regression and uh compared to last year and um i mean i don't think anybody's giving the titans a chance to go into foxborough and win that game uh so i'd say patriots roll pretty handily ellis 
the next worst thing to not showing up at the stadium is being surprised that you're there. I think that the, <laughs> t- I think okay. the Titans are going to be, I think the Titans are surprised that they're even in this situation. Um, you know, you're not fooling me, man. They, they, I don't think they believe, you know, I, I continually harp on it and hit on it. You know, momentum is a great thing. This is not a momentum game. This is not a, we just went into Kansas City and beat Kansas City, you know, because we, we had an excellent game plan or, you know, we had execution that was tremendous. Like, no. And, and you're, you're walking into the Lions then, you know, Gillette Stadium, you know, let, let, on to the AFC Championship, New England Patriots. All right. Um, I'm going, I'm going to do this in sort of the order <laughs> that I think, um, you know, worst games to best games. So the next one I have on my list is Jaguar Steelers. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it to you guys. Jeff, what do you think? I think the Steelers are going to win, but the Jaguars took them apart uh, earlier in the season. Uh, Roethlisberger threw five picks against that defense. Um, I think I don't think it's going to happen again. I think the Steelers are rested. Antonio Brown's uh, had a few weeks to heal. So I think the Steelers will take this game, but might be closer than – I think it might be closer than you think. I, just, I like the Jaguars' defense, and – they're kind of playing with house money here. They were a surprise team this year. I mean, everyone's picking the Steelers, right? But something tells me the Jags might might keep it a close game. But um, I'll take the Steelers maybe in a in a close one. Uh, I don't think they're going to put up huge points against Jacksonville, but just enough to win, I think. Ellis, I don't think the Jags are fearful of of, of them just because of what Jeff mentioned the uh, the five interceptions. Um, I, I will say whoever comes out as the victor in this. Is going to be beaten up. You know, it's going to be a physical game, a defensive match game. And, um, you know, it's it's just going to be uh, detrimental to the next round because you're coming out of that thing, you know, bang, battered, and bruised up heading into Gillette Stadium, like I've already said. And, um, you know, it doesn't bode well. So, you know, I think it's a toss-up, but if I if I had to go with someone just because of, you know, the, the fear factor is not there, I would say the Jaguars. I like their defense. Uh, Bortles, however, can single-handedly bring this team down, hmm. but I still believe that that's the same Bortles that, uh, that helped them win, you know, the first game. So, you know, I, I'm going with the Jaguars. Interesting note on this game. A couple of Steelers players have already come out and said, um, we're going to beat the Patriots. So oh, if the gosh. Jaguars win – um, yeah, I think I, I was very surprised to see that too, but that goes back to my comments on Mike Tomlin, who I'm not a huge fan of, definitely a player's emotional coach, and he probably needs to get control of that. Once, once again, Michael, I've said it, somehow teams find more ways to lose yeah. than the Patriots find ways to win. But I feel like that's a real basic thing. Like I don't have any kids, but if I had a son or daughter and they played sports – the first maybe the one not the first lesson but one of the ones on the top five would be focus on the moment you'd be it's surprised not, yeah you'd be surprised maybe uh, probably would um let's go to the next game falcons eagles in philadelphia no carson wentz i probably should have had this game before the jaguar steelers game now that i think about it um jeff what do you think you know, man, I w- I'm thinking a lot about this game because the way the falcons have been playing the way i've been liking them but uh something tells me it's going to come to a halt um, against the Eagles, even without Wentz. I think the Eagles are still a really good team. They're at home. Um, Falcons playing on the road are a little bit different team. Falcons are favorite. You know, they're road favorites by a touchdown. Uh, sorry, by a field goal, three points. 
Um, they got the experience and all, but I, something tells me that um, it's not going to be as bad as everyone thinks with the regression by the Eagles. So uh, I'm picking Philadelphia, um, a close game, maybe come down to a field goal. I just think it's going to be um, it's going to be the end of the Falcons' run. Uh, they're not as good as they were last year. They have been playing good, but something tells me the Eagles' mojo is going to kick in because uh, they didn't win 13 games this year, and uh, I think they're going to win it and take it to the championship game. Interestingly, about the Falcons being a favorite, I think they're the first ever six seed to be favored in the divisional round. Don't quote me on that, but I thought I heard that. and It would seem to make sense because they are a six seed. It doesn't feel like they are, but they are. Ellis, you played for the Eagles. Um, I know it's a completely different group there now, but um, you did play for them for a few years. So your thoughts on this? Yeah, I actually think they're going to lose because of the supposed to factor, you know, where um, they, they've had that off off week. Um, the city is rooting for him. Uh, you know, Carson Wentz is in there, but you know, okay, we're supposed to win. This is supposed to happen. Meanwhile, I think the Falcons have somewhat got that monkey off of their back, uh, from last year because, you know, the Rams did make a push in that game and there was a lot of things that could have went wrong. You know, um, what was it? Uh, Matt Ryan almost slipping and falling and throwing that ball in the end zone. Um, you know, to Julio, uh, a couple of different scenarios that happened within the game, but somehow, some way, they just continually fought, continually fought, and and, and really defended the uh, the wave that was trying to come their way uh, with the Rams. So I, I I think that they go into this game definitely not intimidated, um, playing against you know that overconfidence I would say in the Philadelphia Eagles to where all the confidence you've seen uh, from them may be working against them in this game. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I feel personally, you know, that, that, that Vegas got it right to where the Falcons are going to go in there. And even though they're already, um, you know, ranked above in winning this game, I think it's going to happen. Uh, I'll just say really briefly, I've got the Falcons in a blowout. I have little to no faith oh, in wow. Nick Foles. Yeah, I think it's, I don't even think it's be close. I've, I I watched Nick Foles and that offense against the Raiders. It's pretty bad. Um, and the Falcons are certainly um, better than the Raiders. So I have I am ye of little faith of the Philadelphia Eagles with Nick Foles. If it was Carson Wentz, we'd have a different discussion, but right. it's not. So let's talk about what I think is the game of the week, and I think a lot of people are talking about it. Saints-Vikings. In um, New Orleans, I think this is a huge game. Yeah, Jeff, no, I'm curious. No, 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 it's in no, Minnesota. They're, they're, it's in Minnesota. Minnesota. I'm sorry. It's in Minnesota. Correct. Um, that's what makes it huge, actually. Location of the Super Bowl. Vikings trying to be the first team ever to play a home Super Bowl game. They come in as the two seed, but they are a dangerous, dangerous football team. Case Keenum with a really great story. Um, Jeff, what do you think about this game? Yeah, it's because it's in Minnesota that I'm picking – the Vikings. I, I love the Saints, and I want them to win, uh, and I want them to get to the Super Bowl and win it. I mean, that that's what I'm pulling for. I don't think it's going to happen. Vikings surprised me all year, man. Um, we started off, who's going to be their quarterback? And Keenum has just taken it, but they got the best defense in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And, you know, man, uh, Dalvin Cook goes down, and it didn't really affect them that much. Uh, Latavius Murray comes in there. They got a good running game. Uh, um, they don't have a weakness right now. And the Saints... Uh, it, they just don't play as well at home. They're not playing outside, right? But but still, they're they're a traveling team. But you know, I, I I don't know. I mean, I think the Vikings win the game, but the Saints have uh, just have we've we've spoken in the last few weeks. They're not the same 
old Saints, right? They're they're not they're not Drew Brees and uh, pray uh, for for a defense that could stop the other team. They're different. I, it's just that um, I don't think the Vikings uh, are going to let this one slip through their fingers. You said it, Mike. They're going to have a chance to play for the Super Bowl in their home home stadium, which would be incredible. It's going to be tough for any team to go in there um, and win that game. So as much as I love the Saints and I love what they've done this year, I think it's going to be a great, great game. You left it for last. I think that's right. It's the best game of the four, or could be at least. But uh, I don't think the Vikings are losing that game. I really don't. So I like the Vikings in a in a real close uh, three-point game. Yeah, just a note. Vikings have the um, number one number one defense in the NFL this year. And I think that's that's going to be huge for this game. And I, I'm actually a big, big fan of Case Keenum. And by the way, Vikings have the 11th ranked offense. So there are no slouches um, in that department either. Ellis, what do you think about this game? Uh, yeah, I, I, I said last week. That the Saints, you know, were the dark horse and why no one was talking about them. But, um, you know, I, I followed that statement up to where I really enjoyed and, and liked pleasantly the uh, the play of Zimmer and the Vikings, you know. And, and you know, how fun would that be, you know, as a player to, to have, you know, Super Bowl uh, in your backyard home field advantage to a whole nother level. I, I like what they're doing up there. Um, I actually think they're going to be the opposite of of the Eagles to where, you know, they're not coming into this thing overconfident. You know, they, they are justified in what they're doing and how they're doing it. And so, um, you know, I, I expect the Vikings to win. I think because it's a divisional round game um, that it's going to be closer, but I still think that the Vikings are going to win, you know, um, pretty unquestionably. All right. So let's get your championship game predictions then. Jeff, who do you have in the AFC championship? Patriots, Steelers. Ellis, who do you have? Patriots, Jags. I have Patriots, Steelers. Jeff, NFC Championship. Vikings, Eagles. Ellis? Vikings and the Falcons. Yeah, I've got Vikings, Falcons as well. All right, everybody. Um, that's going to conclude uh, what we have for this week. I want to thank everybody for listening. I think we got some really great insight into the um, ESPN Wickersham piece, some great discussion about these games coming up this is an amazing weekend for football and enjoy it because after this weekend we're down to you know four teams two more games and then a super bowl and then football goes away for a while Uh, the worst part of the year the worst part of the year but have no fear because the beauty of it is spring training is right around yes, the corner. Baby. Jeff, I know you're a yes. huge baseball guy, and we're, <laughs> we're going to be coming up on your – it's going to be your time from mid-February all the way through to um, next August. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, if you have any questions, don't forget you can email us, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We respond to everything. Have a really great week, everyone. Do you guys have anything else? No, I don't think so, man. Uh, Looking forward to another good week, uh, four good games of football, man. I love it. Yeah, have a great week, everybody. Stay warm out there. I know it's still cold in some places. And we will talk to everybody next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.